Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. And we are tracking through this summer of various sayings and deeds of Jesus and seeking to learn from those uh, really throughout uh, the central part of the book of Luke. So that's uh, something that's laid out in the back of your worship guide, the uh, schedule. And you can also find a sermon notes section at the very back of your worship guide if you'd like to to follow along with that uh, today. Uh, We have looked uh, primarily and again today are looking at some of the deeds of Jesus. We'll also be looking at sayings. We looked at one of the main sayings last week of Jesus proclaiming this parable of the sower. And today we're going to continue uh, looking at one of the deeds of Jesus. Some of these passages are familiar to us. We've at least heard them. Maybe if we haven't necessarily read them from the Bible, I thought it was interesting to think about this. And maybe this will be helpful for, for you. Maybe it will not. But I put down a couple of words and really in the worship guide note section, if you want to look there, the word sender is supposed to be indented, too. So really four ways of kind of looking at some of the passages we've looked at in the last uh, few weeks. Uh, Jesus is sender. Jesus is uh, mender, extender and defender. What do I mean by that? We are going to look at him as defender today as his people are uh, surrounded by a storm and he defends them. We'll say more about that in a few minutes. But we uh, saw several weeks ago that Jesus is also sender. Remember the passage we looked at, I think it was during our Forward by Faith month, where uh, the disciples come back in, several of them have been fishing, and they're sent back out to fish where they'd already been fishing, and Jesus sends them back out, and they have a tremendous take of fish. And remember, uh, Peter uh, had those uh, famous uh, words, because you say so, I will. B-Y-S-S-I-W. Jesus sent him And he went. So we see Jesus as a sender in some of the passages we've looked at recently. Certainly Jesus as mender. He's healing people. Jairus' daughter we saw a few weeks ago. We saw the centurion, the healing that's going on there emotionally, physically. Jesus is a healer. He's fixing things that are broken in our broken world. Sometimes we're broken because others sin against us. Sometimes we're broken, uh, maybe in physical illness ways, because we live in a fallen world where there's brokenness. But in any event, Jesus is a mender. He brings healing. Jesus is uh, an extender. Uh, We haven't looked at this passage in a while, but it certainly is brought to mind when we see the disciples back out on a boat, back out in the middle of the sea. What's another passage we think about is when Jesus calls Peter to step out of the boat, to extend his faith and to step forward and trust Jesus in that way. So sender, mender, extender, defender, if you will, today you'll see in our passage that Jesus, and it may sound trite, but it is true. The main point of this passage is Jesus defends us in the storms that we face. And because of that, we ought to respond with just amazement at his glory, at who he is in our lives. So I invite you to stand along with me as I read this aloud and you read along silently. Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 25. If you'd stand with me just in recognition of the truth, the power, the reliability of God's word. It says, beginning in verse 22 of Luke 8. One day he, Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples. And he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. 
And a windstorm came on the lake, and they were filling the boats with water were filling, and they were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? You may be seated, and let's pray. Jesus, we ask that you would help us today to resonate with the disciples, uh, not in the place where it seems they lack some faith, but in their statement, who then is this that you, Jesus, command even winds and water and that they obey you? Oh, Lord, help us to see that if you can do such things as controlling the very winds and waves, the nature around us, Lord, then certainly you can be Lord of the things, the storms that each of us are facing in our lives. We pray that you help us to see this and believe it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I read recently that on March 18th of this year, uh, down under in Australia, Will Kennedy was driving home from the hospital, Southland Hospital, in his community there in Australia, with his wife and newly born son. They were going home at 4.30 in the morning. I don't know if that's an Australian kind of maternity thing or how that happened, or if Mama was just ready to get home out of the hospital or what, but they were traveling at 4.30, headed home, father, wife, and newborn son, when they drove past a a large housing unit with a vehicle out in front that had burst into flames. And the vehicle was so close adjacent to the housing unit that it began to light that on fire. Will Kennedy uh, stopped his vehicle. There weren't a lot of people out, obviously, at this time. But he, along with an unidentified woman who came along as well, ran uh, to the house. And they assumed that probably everyone had already seen and had gotten out. But they went knocking on the doors and shouting to see if there was anybody inside. Sure enough, it turned out there were 13 people still sleeping inside of this house that was already engulfed in flames. Kennedy uh, described the scene that he observed when he arrived. He said, I thought, bleep, this doesn't look good, and ran to help. Four kids, he said, came out of the door of a house close to where the van was on fire. He said a nearby lady who had arrived later grabbed the little wee ones and two other folks and put them in my warm truck. It was wintertime and put them in his truck with his family. These four children were kept warm inside and one woman nearby said this who had been rescued, Kelly Wishart the mother of one of the children that was in the house. She said, I would like to say a big thank you 
to the person that pretty much saved my daughter's life in the fire. Well, in our passage today, the rescuer is the one who's sleeping, right? And the danger is water coming in, not flames coming in. But as with the rescue I described down under, the discipleship was about to go under. And so they were fearful, as we can understand. They were in dire straits. They were without hope. They had uh, no uh, plan or ability to rescue without somebody coming along, somebody pulling them out of this disaster. And indeed, it was Jesus. And it was an opportunity for Jesus uh, not only to rescue them, but to display his incredible power at the time. The best Mr. Kennedy could do, who rescued these folks from the flames, an impressive Deed, for sure, coming by a near, near a vehicle that's burning up and a house that could collapse at any time. But the best he could do was to get them back out of the flames, get them to, to escape from that place. Jesus kept everybody right in the boat and just pushed back the danger. That's the power that he has. And as I said earlier, as we think about these verses for our life, and I think I've got this down in your worship guide as the main idea from our passage, we see that Jesus defends us. That's one of the things he does for us as his people. He defends us. And so because of that, we ought to rest in his amazing glory. Wouldn't that be great if we could do that? What a struggle it is, though, for us. In the storms that we're facing, whether yours are particular struggle with sin or you're wrestling with depression issues or you've got family issues that you're working through or the job or there's a struggle in your neighborhood or whatever it is. We all could probably rattle off four or five things that we wake up thinking about that are on our heart. And maybe the list will be different six months from now and six years from now. But we've all got those things that are. Uh, pressing in and seem to be flooding that boat and taking it under and taking us under with it. What a blessing to know that Jesus defends us. Take a look at these verses with me again and let's walk through them. The first thing we see is that the people in the boat, the disciples, absolutely faced danger. You know what's interesting to this to me about this is Jesus is right there with them. And I don't think that's accidental. I think that's meant to communicate something to him. In fact, he kind of invites them to go in this boat, out into this situation. And it's a reminder for us, as hard as this is for us to believe sometimes, and I don't mean to make light of any of the difficulties that folks here are facing, because some of us are facing very difficult things right now today. Jesus is right there with us, even if it doesn't seem that way. Jesus is right there with his disciples while these storms are coming in. He doesn't keep the storms from coming, is my point. He still allows them to come. And it provides an opportunity for him to display his power, for faith to be increased in his disciples, and for them to be amazed at his glory. My question for us today is, do we believe that about some of the storms that we're facing? That in fact... Jesus is right there, even though he might seem absent, he might seem asleep like he he is in his boat, that he's actually right there with us. Do we believe that? 
Second thing we see in these verses is that the disciples, although he, Jesus later questions their faith and says, hey, what's going on with your faith? Where is it? There's something lacking there. They, they do something right as well. Look at verse 23. It says, and as the water was filling in, it says then verse 24, they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Now, you may say, okay, well, that's an easy, easy one for them. They're in the boat with the Lord of the universe. He's right nearby, so sort of maybe default. They're able to, <laughs> to be smarter than we all are sometimes. But the fact is they, they realize they need help and they seek help from Jesus. And that's one of the hardest things for us to do, isn't it? The things that we default to when we're facing storms, think about it for a minute. I thought of a list for, for myself, what I do. First response is usually just knuckle under, just bow up. Just I'm going to get I'm going to get through this somehow. Uh, maybe we talk to a friend. Maybe we take the step to go meet with a counselor or somebody if it's something substantial that we need to work through that way. Maybe we just think them through. That's what I do. If I just you know if I just keep running this thing around this little wheel in here, I'm sure it'll somehow get resolved. You know, I'm sure that can somehow solve the problems of the universe right inside here. You know, there's nothing wrong, really, with those responses in themselves. The problem is if those are responses by themselves. If there's no point in there where we say, Jesus, help me. I need help with this storm I'm facing. It's overwhelming to me. And so I think a question for us today with some of the things we're facing, and maybe, like I said, we, we feel like we've asked Jesus to help us a lot of times. And the problem is we don't believe he's near and involved, but on the flip side, it might be that we're facing some things and we we aren't really asking Jesus to help us, or at least we're not asking in a place of real dependence, recognizing we're perishing if he doesn't do something for us. So we see the disciples, they face danger. We see them seeking help from Jesus. And then we've already kind of uh, said this. I guess it's uh, an, an obvious thing in the passage, but it's worth mentioning again. Look at what Jesus does. Again, if, you, if you've been in church a while, if you read your Bible for a while, if you're kind of familiar with this idea that Jesus is the Son of God, fully God and fully man, I'll kind of water off our back, uh, no pun intended, that, that Jesus you know, tosses back some waves and some wind. You know, he's done some other cool stuff, so no big deal. But boy, let's, let's pause and recognize, again, like the disciples did, it's their first time seeing this. It's their first time experiencing this particular miraculous working of Jesus, that he rebukes the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That's a powerful picture of how he uses strength for the blessing and benefit of those around him, and he defends them. Now, we can resonate with this a little bit, can't we? Because... In the last uh, three years plus, how many times have we all watched newscasts from early in the morning on a particular day watching tornadoes move their way into our territory and figuring out where we're going to hunker down and envisioning what might happen if this whole roof over us at our house or wherever comes ripping off. And we put the Peters family, I know, during the storms a couple months ago, we're out in the garage in the little corner where there's three, you know, or two brick 
walls, concrete walls around us. I got a ping pong table that I've played ping pong on once in like 10 years, but it's out there in the garage. And so we flip that joker down, half of it on top of us. We're hunkered underneath there. Uh, patients, you know, brought out the Bible. That was a good move, too. I didn't think of that. But, uh, you know, we brought out the Bible, started reading some scripture and praying. You know, we asked for, you asked for help. You're recognizing you need help. It's, uh, it's not that hard for us to do it sometimes when those kind of storms are coming in, but, but we forget to as we're facing the other storms in life. And, and let me just say this. I'm going to read a, a passage from a book in just a minute that relates to the fatherhood component. But I just want to say this. There's something uh, beautiful about how Jesus uses strength to bring calm and peace as well. And dads, men... There's something unique about how God has gifted us. Thankfully, there's many unique things about how he's gifted our brides, the ladies in our midst today as well. There's something special about men and that there's a certain ability that God gives to use strength that God's given us, whether you want to call that emotional or physical or whatever, but to bring peace, to calm, to defend. That's a good thing. That's a way we ought to use our strength for the blessing of our family. So Jesus defends, we see here, and then he sort of rebukes challenges. It's kind of hard to read how forceful he's saying, where is your faith? Is he saying, hey, you ought to have had some more faith? Is he saying, hey, there's zero faith and you ought to have some? It's, it's a little hard to read it. I think it's more, hey, you know, you've demonstrated some faith, but let's have a little bit more here. And I just take from that that Jesus wants us to always be growing, to always be growing in our faith. And I, I read something um, recently from a book called Broken Down House by Paul David Tripp. And, and this guy's written some other books that uh, I think are more, you know, more popular, actually, uh, that folks have read. Um, I just had this one on my shelf, and I'm not even sure where it came from, but I, I wanted to read it. So I picked it up, and, and it's, uh, it's kind of about life. Well, the, the subtitle is this, Living Productively in a World Gone Bad. Living Productively in a World Gone Bad. And the broken down house is the image that he carries through of just kind of going into an old dilapidated house and how that's kind of how our life is. And Jesus, God, has a vision for that house being Redone, you know, the DIY project, remaking it in every single room and each part of the flooring and each wall. This uh, section that I want to read, though, he's talking a little bit more about uh, fatherhood and how God relates to us in in that capacity. And I I thought it related to our passage today and certainly fit with uh, Father's Day. So uh, bear with me as I read just just two pages from this. I think it'll be helpful for us. It, it was uh, encouraging and challenging for me. He says this, describing himself, uh, Paul David Tripp. I did it again and again when our children resisted our instruction and correction. I did it again and again when they debated a command or questioned our plans. I did it again and again when they opposed our authority and quested for self-rule. I did it again and again For two reasons. To begin with, my wife and I had brought these children into the world who thought that they didn't need us. Each of them at some point fell into believing that they were far more knowledgeable and capable than they really were. They all assumed that their intentions were noble and their plans were sound. 
They all thought that they were capable of determining what was best, even when they lacked important information and experience. They simply felt they were in possession of a better way. But there was a second reason I did it again and again. Our children were too young to grasp the abstract, the strategic, the often theological purposes underlying my instruction. Even if I explained everything in an age-appropriate way as I could, they'd still have no full understanding. They just did not have the categories or capacity to grasp the parental logic behind my plan or command. So I did the same thing again and again. I would kneel down in front of them at eye level and say, please look at daddy's face. Do you know how much I love you? Do you know that daddy is not mean or a bad man? Do you know that I would never ask you to do anything that would intentionally hurt you or make you sick? I'm sorry that you can't understand why daddy's asking you to do this. I wish I could explain it to you, but you're too young to fully understand. So I'm going to ask you to do something. Trust daddy. When you walk down the hallway to do what daddy's asked you to do, say to yourself, my daddy loves me. My daddy would never ask me to do something bad. I'm going to trust my daddy and I'm going to stop stop trying to be the daddy of my daddy. God does the same thing with you and with me. Over and over again. Listen to this. He meets you in one of the difficult hallways of your life. He kneels down before you in condescending love and asks you to trust his loving and wise rule. Even though you don't have a clue what he's doing. He knows there are many times when your life doesn't look like there's anyone ruling it let alone someone wise and good. He knows there'll be times when you will wish you could write your own story. He knows that at times you will be overwhelmed by what's on your plate. He knows that his plan will confuse and confound you sometimes. And he knows that the real rest, that real rest cannot be found in more understanding. Real rest is found in trust. I think that's what Jesus is talking to his disciples about when he invites them to have greater faith. He's saying, grow in that recognition that I've really got things under control and I've got the best plan for you in place. Even if it doesn't look that way. Even if it looks like we're potentially going to go under. Well, a lot of us probably do feel that way sometimes, like God has left us. We probably resonate with the uh, thoughts of a child relative to their parents sometimes, that we've got a better plan, that things seem confusing, that we've got to understand all the intricacies in order to go forward with what we're told to do. Here's the beautiful thing, and I'll close with this. Jesus doesn't just defend us his people from those kind of storms you know everything his his pushing back the weather it's it's impressive it's powerful this is amazing the disciples are amazed at it when we think about the places in our life if we'll take time to do that and and think through think through 
those places where you have seen God work, right? It's easy to think about our struggles. Think about those places where he has watched over us, where we, we maybe didn't know where things were headed. And later on, we are able to look back and say, oh, okay, that's what he was doing. That's what he was trying to teach me. That's where he was leading me. But regardless, all of those things are, are downstream from the greatest way that Jesus defends us. And we know what it is. We're coming right here to the table in a few minutes to meditate on it, to think about it, to experience it, we hope, in a deeper way. That Jesus defends us from the fact that the house ought to burn up with us in it. The boat ought to go down with us in it. That's what we deserve. And yet he protects us eternally from the consequences of our turning away from him, from our sin. He's the great defender in that way. We ought to be amazed at his glory and rest in it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you have sent a rescuer for us. Thank you for the ways that uh, you push back the storms in our lives. We pray for each one of us as we face the storms that we are experiencing that we would be able to believe that you are there with us, Lord Jesus, and that we would be able to see your power. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, even uh, if we lose this life, we know that you have defeated the ultimate storm against us, that storm of the consequences of our sin, of our turning away from you, and you've given us your righteousness that we can have the promise and assure one at that of a heavenly existence with you throughout all eternity. A time when we will indeed know fullness of your calming presence, fullness of your powerful defense, fullness of your peace. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.